Welcome to the Vegas Gang podcast for November 14th, 2012. The Vegas Gang is a roundtable discussion show for issues related to casinos in Las Vegas, Macau, and the rest of the world. We love you. Um, let me go around the table and introduce the guys. We've got Chuck Monster, the editor-in-chief at VegasTripping.com. Hey, what's happening, Chuck? Not much, Hunter. Happy to be here. Hey, thanks, man. Good to see you. Yeah, baby. Um, and we have, of course, Dr. Dave Schwartz, the director of UNLV's Center for Gaming Research. What's happening, Dave? Deep inside the carpet warehouse here, things are looking pretty good. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Yes, I saw your post on Twitter earlier. Someone called. Only they, they weren't looking for carpet. They were trying to book a room. No, they actually wanted to cancel the room. Oh. And if I was truly a cruel and sadistic person, I would have taken their name and said, okay, yes, thank you, we've canceled it. Yeah, you should have. <laughs> but no, I just... Actually, so you're Dave... You're going to have to call somebody. Dave, if you were truly sadistic, you would have taken their their name and their credit card. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yes, that wouldn't be very nice. Um, of course, my name is uh, Hunter Hilligus, and I'm at um, RateVegas.com. And uh, before we get into our normal uh, news analysis, I want to do a couple announcements and uh, sort of a recap. Of course, our last episode was live from the Vegas Internet Mafia family picnic. And I, you know, I hope if you haven't listened to it, I would strongly recommend you give it a give it a listen. Um, we did an interview with Derek Stevens, uh, who that weekend was relaunching his uh, Fremont Street property, the D. And I thought it was a great interview. I thought it really, really well. Um, he was a lot of fun to talk to. Yeah. Very candid, honest. And I, he's the kind of guy that I would say, hey, anytime you want to come on, we'd love to do it again because I thought it was a great interview. Uh, yep. Really, really fun, cool guy. And um, in addition to the interview, he was just extremely accommodating to our group uh, later that day, um, giving us all access to uh, the, his opening party, including concert out in Fremont and a lot of other great stuff. So they really took care of us and went above and beyond. And we owe them uh, an, an extra bit of thanks. So I wanted to make sure to communicate that. Absolutely. Because it was great. And, of course, you know, we said it on the, the day of, but also a big thank you to the folks at Caesars Entertainment who helped us put the event together. Um, without them, you know, it wouldn't have been it, – it wouldn't have existed the way that it existed. So we really appreciate their help, and, uh, uh, you know, it was a lot of hard work, and we thank them for it. I'd like to butt in for a second. Yeah, go ahead. And reiterate what I had said at the, at the show is that we're – uh, not the easiest group of, of people to work with. Uh, we're pretty particular and we know what we want to do. And the Caesars folks dealt with us in a very fabulous manner and they made all of our dreams come true. It was pretty fantastic. Absolutely. They were great. I just wanted to say thank you to everybody that came out. It was incredibly humbling for us to see you, uh, to see you all there. We really appreciate it. Uh, you know, we know some of you came quite a great distance, and even some of you that didn't, we really uh, appreciate everybody's time and hope you guys had a great time. Um, before we uh, before we move on, I wanted to actually um, ask both of you guys, Chuck and Dave, you know, what was your experience like? Uh, just real quick, share um, how you felt about the event and uh, 
because I, I don't know, I, I, it, it blew, it exceeded my own expectations. And so um, I just wanted to give you guys an opportunity to, to chime in for a second and, uh, and give your two cents about how you felt like it went. Dad, Chuck, you want to start with you? You know, I, I think I'm with you, Hunter. It certainly exceeded my expectations. Uh, you know, last year we were missing five hundy, and it was apparent. And this year to have them back, really, the gang's all here. You know, the, the this is the mafia. This is the, uh, you know, we're the people that people accused of being jerks. <laughs> you know, <laughs> all of us kind of together into, into one space was just a fantastic experience with all the cross-pollination of everybody and the drink-ups and the protests and the photo opportunities. And it was just a whole weekend of absolute madness and fun. And it's been exactly a month and a day since it, and I'm still kind of glowing about it. And, and if you asked me two weeks before the event, whether we were going to have another one, I was going to say no, but I can't wait now. I really can't wait till the next one. Yeah, you know that's funny. Um, I that last that last bit especially because I uh, I would have probably said the same thing, um, but uh, my my opinion has changed because it was it was a really good time and it was really fun to interact with all of y'all and uh, it was great. Dave, any anything you want to add before we move on? Yeah, it was really great to meet a lot of people. It's it's a lot of fun. Um, I I just really like getting to put faces and names, and it's really humbling to see that many people come out to see us do our thing, and you know, people coming all the way out to Vegas to see us do that in a live venue, and it's just totally outstanding. Really, really, really great. I agree. I agree. Excellent. So, as far as some people have already asked about what we're doing for next year, um, you know, it's. It's still quite a ways away. Um, we do understand that it is very helpful for travel planning purposes for you guys to have information uh, as soon as you can have it. Uh, and so we're always keeping that in mind. I would say probably realistically, um, information sometime in the spring uh, as far as when and what exactly we will be doing next year. Um, it, it could be a very similar type of event. It could be a little bit different. You know, it all depends on many factors, who's available to do what and when. And so there's a lot of moving parts. Uh, but I would say stay tuned um, because uh, we will be disseminating that information as soon as we have anything to share. So you can uh, keep your eye on the uh, usual suspect uh, websites to um, find out any upcoming info about future events. All right. Save October. Yeah, I think that's probably a, a pretty good bet. Um, but uh, you know, we'll we'll see where it ends up. Um, trippies, uh, Chuck. Trippies nomination uh, deadline is Friday, right? Why don't you tell us about that? Yes, this is the uh, our annual Readers Poll Awards, and it comes in multiple phases. And phase one is the nomination phase, where everybody puts their favorite stuff into the hat. And we pick the top five or so of each of those 50, 60 categories. And then we offer those up for final voting. So you have to be in it to even be nominated. And you have to be nominated to win it. So and I might remember, remind everybody that this is the only, the only, 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 only Las Vegas Awards thing that's purely for the tourist freak sector. 
you guys select everything. We don't give you anything to vote on. It's up to you guys. You guys pick and choose and vote and decide on everything. There's no editorial decisions that go into anything. It's well, all you. I have a. I would like to register a complaint. Okay. Um, so, of course, uh, there there's another podcast that's popular called Five Hundred by Midnight, um, and. They they won many years in a row, and I would you know they they deserve a lot of the uh, kudos that go their way. I you know I'm not complaining about that, but yeah. there was a rule instituted, a Hall of Fame rule that has since been rescinded, allowing them to compete once again in the gladiatorial arena known as the Trippies. What yeah. the hell, man? You're totally ruining my mojo here. Well, you know, we could have called it the, you know. Whoever the non five hundred podcast <laughs> award, but you know the the pickings of podcasts is pretty slim. So I want to give you know it. It seemed like last year that folks really were kind of upset over it. So I'm willing to listen to the throngs and go. and rescind what was an editorial decision and hand it back to the people. Fair enough. Um, I will say, uh, since you know, since as the editor over at Vegas Tripping Chuck, you probably can't suggest any nominations in good conscience, but I have no such restriction. <laughs> um, I would say, uh, on behalf of my fellow podcasters, I think I could safely say that we'd love it to be nominated. We're always um, humbled by that. So if you are so inclined to nominate this podcast, uh, yeah. I think uh, we'd really appreciate it. So, and also give. Uh, a little, I will pimp this, but give some special thought to the uh, to your nominees for the Jeff Simpson Award, which is the award in honor of our fallen hero friend, uh, which honors the most improved property in Las Vegas. Excellent. So, so um, you may have said this up top, and I missed it. When will the nominations be announced? Uh, I think first week of December. Okay. So it's going to close up Friday. I'm going to do the tally, and then we'll we'll put that out in early December for like a week or eight or nine days. We'll have voting, seal it up, and then count the votes. Excellent. Uh, great. So I think that's all we need to discuss related to the trippies, and I think we are done with our announcements here, and we can now rock and roll into the news. Um, let's see. So – we haven't been on – well, we haven't done a normal show for two months now, I guess. I mean our last show was uh, an interview. Um, so we're not going to go all the way that far back. But uh, there definitely has been some stuff happening, especially a few things in the last few weeks that are pretty important that have an impact on this stuff. Um, one is – which was directly uh, preceding the presidential election here in the United States. We had Hurricane Sandy, which hit the East Coast – of the United States, including, uh, and you know, in some ways, um, <laughs> exclusively, I mean, not exclusively, but really took a huge, huge hit was Atlantic city where, um, you know, the casinos there had to shut down. Um, Dave, I, I am very interested to, uh, get some info from you about this, both in terms of, you know, if you have a good sense of, of how bad it really got there. Um, and then I also want to talk a little bit about, you know, can is this a body blow that they can absorb at this point in time? What is your sense, based on what you've seen and read uh, since since the hurricane came through, about how bad it was in Atlantic City? Before I say that, just your turn of phrase has me flashing back to being like 12 years old and walking down to what was then the Golden Nugget 
and is now the Atlantic Club and playing Super Punch Out in the little arcade there they had on the boardwalk. <laughs> Body blow. Body blow. <laughs> Body blow. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, boy. Now I'm going to have that in my head for a while. <laughs> um, going back to a little bit Syria, very seriously, it was a pretty bad storm for the entire region. Uh, a lot of my friends and family evacuated. Those who didn't didn't also didn't make it out so well. But um, the ones that evacuated, many of them went back. A lot of the areas really got damaged. I know people who have water damage in their homes. And, you know, this obviously isn't something that you get fixed right away. This is something that kind of lingers and drags on. You know, in addition, we've all seen the news coverage of the impact everywhere in the region, especially New York and that area. So that's bad. You know, I do want to highlight something that to me shows everything that's wrong about social media. And that is the idea that the boardwalk was destroyed. Um, this happened. The Atlantic City Boardwalk runs down from Fredericksburg Avenue in Ventnor all the way down to where all the casinos are in Atlantic City, then curves around past Revel and then runs down a couple blocks further. It used to go a lot further, but they've let that end really fall apart. There's no casinos or anything there. The flagship timeshare thing is there. That's the closest thing. They've let that really fall apart. And for years, every time I go back, when I go for a long run, not in Seattle or Denver, but in Atlantic City this time, <laughs> I, you know, it's like, hey, I'm down here and there's, and this part of the boardwalk is blocked off and half of the planks are already ripped out and you can't walk on it. So like, huh, that's there. That's the section that everybody, you know, somebody took a picture of it, I think from the flagship, and that's the section that was going, making the rounds of people and saying, oh my God, the boardwalk's been destroyed and how could this be? And, you know, first of all, that area, the the ocean pretty much came under that even before. So it's not like this was wiping out all of the beach and all of the dunes. You know, it'd have to, you know, you'd have to see some pretty high tides, probably I would guess like 20 feet above normal like a 20-foot storm surge to get over those dunes. I don't know exactly what it is. I'm not a, an engineer, but, you know, they've got a pretty extensive dune system in front of the casinos. So the entire boardwalk was not destroyed. But for days afterwards, I got calls from people in the media. This isn't just people forwarding it on Facebook and saying, you know, oh, my God, I don't believe it. You know, this is people in the media saying, well, now that the boardwalk has been destroyed, what's the impact going to be in the casinos? And I had to patiently explain several times, the boardwalk has not been destroyed. You know, there it is still there. One section has been destroyed, but that section hasn't been walked on probably for 10 years. Right. But they refused it. Well, but still, what's the impact of that? It's like, well, given that nobody is walking in that before, it is logically impossible that that's going to have an impact now. And it just amazed, amazes me how much people, once they kind of see something on Twitter or Facebook, they just want to believe it. And right. despite all the evidence to the contrary, they don't believe that it's not true. I know there's another thing that, that went that made the rounds of the New York Stock Exchange being flooded and that was debunked. And sure. there's a whole Oh, I saw a bunch. I saw that. pictures of sharks like swimming through New, New Jersey neighborhoods. And <laughs> yeah. There was a, yeah. apparently examples of, of stills from the movie uh, The Day After Tomorrow uh, that were like doctored to make it look like they were um, from uh, the aftermath of Sandy. So yes, there was quite a bit of sort of fictional social media spread of crazy photos that did not were not correct or true. 
Yeah, and I think it's pretty, you know, I, I think partially it's because people want to be in on what's happening now, and that's that whole social media, get on the buzz, share everything, share, share, share. You've got to be the first one in your circle to, to pass it on. So I think that removes a lot of people's blinders. But, you know, I, I think that was pretty irresponsible of the news news organizations to really keep that up. And so that's, that's one thing, you know, I think deeper, you've got the problem of the casinos were closed for about four or five days. They lost that revenue in the short term. Not such a big deal because they've got business interruption insurance. That should cover that. And if it doesn't, then they need to replace whoever's doing their insurance because they should have that. I think there's going to be a big impact, though, because the entire area around there is going to be dealing with the aftermath of the storm for quite a long time. So even though the infrastructure to get there is in place, if people's basements are flooded out and their living rooms are flooded out and they've lost a lot of their furniture, they're not going to want to go down to Atlantic City and play slot machines. They're just not going to want to do it, even less so than they were before. So I see that as being a big problem probably for the next six months, nine months, you know, for for quite some time. And I think that could lead to a couple of casinos going out of business. Really? Uh, do you have yeah. – uh, are you are you willing to make a prediction? Place your bets. Place your bets. So from handicapping <laughs> the casinos there, you, you go up and down the line. You know, resorts is kind of one of the weaker ones in the herd, and you would say, well, maybe that one would go out. But they just got yeah. some capital from, from Mohegan's from uh, the Mohican tribe, and they also got a change in management from them. So I don't think they're going to throw in the towel. Um, the Mohegans knew that what the, what the competitive structure was. They have this triangulation model where they've got Connecticut, northern Pennsylvania, Atlantic City to sort of triangulate around New York City. So they, they know what they're getting into there. So I don't think they're going to go away. You've got Borgata, which is the top property in the market, which is still doing pretty well. They're not going to go away. You've got the Four Caesars properties. You know, it's conceivable that maybe one of those properties turns into hotel only. Perhaps I don't know. Uh, definitely, if the price was right, I've got to think they'd want to divest themselves, probably of Showboat and Bally's, and hold on to Caesars and Harris, which are the two top performing properties they have there. So you've got those. You know, I don't think they would close any of them outright because the market value of that property when it's closed and when you've got cobwebs collecting is so much less than when it's open. I don't know why you would do that. Then you've got the two Trump properties. I think Trump Plaza is a strong candidate. They've clearly been siphoning a lot of business from there down to the Taj. If you look at the Plaza's numbers over the past two years, they've just continued to slide. And of course, I don't have them right in front of me, so I can't say that. But let me look at what they have for the year. I'll see if I can find this here. And we are at Trump Plaza, which starts with T. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, if you look at per table, that's been really weak. Win per slot per day has also been pretty weak. So, yeah, I mean, they're not really doing that well. Right. So you've got them. So I think they're a candidate. I think Atlantic Club's got to be another one because they're down on the end of the boardwalk. They just announced that they're closing all, I think, closing all but two of the restaurants. And they've made the promise that there will be a restaurant open every day, which wow. You, if you've been in, I think it's an 800-room casino. So imagine being in an 800-room hotel with one restaurant open. Yeah. You know, simple math says that if you've got 10% of the people in your rooms eating there, you should have 80 covers. 
I don't know. I don't know. That's not looking good. <laughs> that plus the fact that you've got you sh- theoretically should have people coming in um, who are day trippers in there. So that's not looking really good, you know. So you've got a what was once the golden nugget with you know Steve Wynn's pride and joy with one restaurant open in the middle of the week. That's pretty bad, and that's that's not the thing that people do lightly. And that's kind of what they did at Sahara as they were in the death spiral. So that doesn't look good. Yeah, no, it does remind me of. Maybe not quite that dramatic, but you know, very depth of the financial crisis, or like right after 9/11, where even in Las Vegas you saw a significant adjustment of restaurant hours to try and uh, adapt to the total lack of demand. Um, it is not a good sign. No. Uh, any good news for Atlantic City? Not right now. I mean, the good news is that they're still there. That the basic infrastructure is still there. You know, maybe long term, this shakes out a couple of the weaker players. People can buy in cheaper and get it at a value that they can reinvest and try to build it up. I think they've still got to look at the future and, you know, they have to look at rebuilding now and trying to, you know, and I've said this for years, you know, everybody, a lot of people keep on saying, well, what do they have to do to recapture where they once were? And I've always said, that's, that's a, they're going to lose that. You can't go back to where you were. You can't turn back the hands of time, you know, and Vegas has never done that. You know, Vegas has always reinvented itself, gone on to, to something new. I think that's what they need to do. So yeah, it's a, it's a question of trying to survive in the short term. And then hopefully some people can come into that market, invest in it and uh, rebuild it. I'm going to offer an alternate view. Good. Do it. <clears throat> Thanks, man. I think that even though there's some degree of damage and it's it's horrible for everybody who lives there, I was saw the CNN guy up to his waist in water by those, uh, by those shops, for the H&M shops. Dave, you know the name of that little shopping neighborhood that's uh, a little further inland there. I was amazed at how much water there was. Yes. This was on CNN, Fox, everybody. The president is there in the middle of the election. This is Atlantic City was all over the news. The name, the place, the word, Atlantic City, Atlantic City, Atlantic City, Atlantic City, nonstop. Simple, huge marketing campaign. We are back. And it becomes a matter of national pride where people are compelled to put on their American flag underpants and head straight to Atlantic City and inhabit all of the hotels and gaming positions. I'm half facetious, but I'm actually true. I think getting the name out, the word out of a city that a lot of people may have even forgotten about over a longer term is going to have a positive effect on on tourism. I think you've got a point about kind of a New Orleans post-Katrina effect where people exactly their, their stuff there. I'm just not sure that the city has enough goodwill remaining that people, you know, I mean, already you've got the whole Jersey Shore stigma and everybody's making snooky jokes and stuff like that. So Yeah, but that's seaside I do it. Yeah. I, I know that and you know that, but how many people <laughs> how many other people know that? So yeah, I mean you've got I, I hope they I hope they're able to do that and I hope they're able to take this negative and turn it into a positive. But again, you know, my experience as somebody who was born there and has watched the industry over the last 30 some years, yeah. they've not really been good at doing that in the past of even taking positives and turning them into positives. So asking them to take a negative and turn them into a positive is tough. So in the post the financial crisis when, you know, Las Vegas suffered 
pretty severely. We saw some pretty amazing deals for people that still wanted to come to Las Vegas and had the means yeah. to do so. Um, for a few years, we saw incredible deals, especially when you compare them to the sort of bubble rates of the couple of years that preceded. Um, are we going to see that in Atlantic City? Is it going to be the kind of thing where if you want to go to Atlantic City in the next year, you're going to get the best deal of the past decade? Really hard to say because one of the folks, I think, who took over resorts said that they had to raise the room rates, which struck me as a really bad idea. I'm pretty sure it was resorts. It might have been somebody else. So sorry, folks at resorts, if I've unfairly maligned you. But I think it was the press conference when Mohegan took over resorts. And I think it was them who said, like, yeah, we need to raise room rates. And, you know, just I don't have any scientific numbers in this or anything really quantitative about room rates, but I know a lot of folks who I talk to on Twitter, which is, again, not at all scientific, complain that it's still pretty pricey if you're not a player getting comped. It's still a lot pricier to go to Atlantic City than you think it would be. Right, which has been a complaint for many, many, many years, right? I mean, that's nothing new. Yeah. But yeah. unfortunately, it sounds like that maybe, maybe hasn't changed in the short term. Well, it will be interesting to watch that and get an impression um, the other piece of related news to this is word that Wynn Resorts Incorporated Limited <laughs> uh, may be bidding or is bidding or may be doing uh, – working on a property in nearby Philadelphia. Um, you know, of course, Wynn famously tried to swoop in to do Philadelphia a couple of years ago and then abandoned it when he deal went kind of sideways. Um a wind property in Philadelphia, how badly would that hurt Atlantic City? It's hard to say, you know, because it's hard to say whether he would really cut into Borgata and Harris and potentially Revel if they ever start firing on all cylinders. Those are the three properties it, it might cut into. But this stuff is so far down the pike, I don't even want to speculate. You know, when you, as you said, he was already in there once and, and left, you know, it just as likely as he would throw in his cards there and decide to go back into Atlantic City again and do something, you know, to my way of thinking. So it's it's really difficult for me to say. Yeah. Chuck, if you were picking between Atlantic City or Win Philly, which one would you pick? Oh, boy. You know, that, that parcel Landy's got right on the river is kind of pretty. It seems like even though it's junky and beat up right now, it's it seems like a really gorgeous property right on the water there with skylines and things could really – capture the the wind spirit you know he'd have the fountain show out front without actually having to put a fountain show out front just by the nature of the location and you know the trip from if you have to decide to go to if you're living in philly you'll probably go to the wind before you drive over to play at the showboat you know yeah. there's no there's no chance you know a sugar house who cares? Wynn has the cachet. It, it always will. Well, explain this to me, though. If I'm New Jersey and I'm, I hear that Steve Wynn is thinking about doing something in, in Pennsylvania, when I, and I know that uh, you know, gaming taxes in Pennsylvania are pretty high, why, why don't I find a way to get Steve Wynn to change his mind and build the property in Atlantic City? That's what I'm thinking. You know, For tax rates that are much, much lower, I mean, God, you know, Steve, just run a shuttle. From yeah. the airport or from a drop, you know, buy a garage in Center City, Philadelphia, buy, you know, and run shuttles from Center City, Philadelphia and the airport right to the door. Make it a party bus. And you, what you 
the money that you made up in your in the gaming taxes would more than pay for that. I'm pretty convinced, unless I've grossly underestimated the cost of motor coach transport in the 21st century. But I don't know. Well, the question is, how much would he have to invest to build a competitive property, a win competitive property in town in Atlantic City? You know, that's that's a two billion, at least a two billion dollar affair, at least. And that's for a, a, a boutique property. He's never going to make that money back. Doesn't matter whether he's a, you know, he has a shuttle or he's, you know, flying people in from Macau. He's not going to make that money. So back. by virtue of scale, since the Philadelphia property is going to be a lot smaller, um, and it's a much yeah. much smaller investment, it's yeah. it's less risk, it's safer, it's maybe crazy crazy tax rates, but it's still yeah. uh, it's still still money. And uh, yeah, I could I could see that it's making like, sense. It's like building the McDonald's out by the freeway instead of right in the middle of downtown. Right. You know? Yeah. You, you get them out there where they live. Right. Um, okay. I want to talk a little bit more about the election, but since we're talking about Wynn, uh, at least a mention that um, Wynn Macau, the, uh, the Chinese uh, affiliates, is starting construction on their Kotai property um, more or less now. Uh, we got information that uh, they had finally picked their uh, general their general contractor. Um, I knew that they had talked in recent conference calls about them uh, winnowing down that list, and they're going with the same folks that they've worked with before. Uh, I think it's an Australian firm that um, you know did win Macau and did Encore at Win Macau and has done a bunch of other projects in Macau. So clearly, there's that relationship there. You know, not you could make a parallel to previous construction relationships that Wynn had for many years in, in Las Vegas, even though he went a different way with Encore. Um, so, you know, that's finally getting underway. I think uh, the the information that came out indicated a 2016 opening date. Is that right? Have I got that right? Something like that? Yeah, early 2016. So it's going to be before Chinese New Year. Right. So that's in February. So we're talking right after the turn of the New Year. Right. So, uh, you know, we're going to start to see – well, probably not right away. It sounds like they've got a fair amount of remediation to do on the site to uh, fix the uh, sub-basement and uh, all the all the flooring <laughs> stuff that's got to go, go in. But in the not-too-distant future, you'll start seeing stuff rise up. And unfortunately, um, you know, it seems like we get less construction pictures from Macau, but there are, there are some good sources out there. So I, I think I'm pretty confident in saying that uh, we'll be able to point you uh, – interested listeners to construction photos um, as as it starts to rise up from one source or another. Uh, the proliferation of Instagram and smartphones has uh, really increased uh, the amount of construction, crazy weird construction photos that are out there on the interwebs. Um, so we'll definitely be watching that. That's a huge development for the region and for the company. Um, you know, there's we've covered leaks on the design over the past uh, months and years. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see what the thing ends up looking like and, and, and how it is, you know, when, and his, uh, his people like Roger Thomas and Gerard Butler have talked about, you know, this being the best thing they've ever done, you know, it's, which is, you know, of course, every single time Apple introduces a product, they say, this is the best thing we've ever done. Well, I hope so. Cause if you didn't, <laughs> if you didn't learn from all of your mistakes, then, <laughs> you know, um, so I'm glad that it's the best thing they've ever done. Um, I am very curious. Can't wait to see more. And I think that goes for a lot of us. So uh, this is we're entering a very fertile period here on Kotai. This is the second wave of big 
time construction here. Right. Uh, uh, LVS is planning the Parisien, which will be next door to the Venetian, their their Paris-themed resort. And phase two of Galaxy is starting now. It's it's going underway now. And uh, MGM says that they should be gazetted within the next six months to start on their Kotai property too. So we're going to see a lot of things coming out of the ground over there. It's very right. exciting. Yes, and of course, Harris has filed, or Caesars Entertainment has yeah, bailed. They sold the golf course. Yes, they are they're selling officially the golf course. out. They have uh, come to grips <laughs> with the fact that they're never going to have an entree into that market unless they buy one of these other operators. So uh, they, they have given up, at least for now. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I'm definitely not writing these guys off, but uh, it's for both Sheldon Adelson and Steve Wynn, you know, these are probably this is probably one of the last developments that they're going to do in their career. They can't work forever. At some point, they're going to retire, um, and so you know, this may not be the last, but it's going to be probably one of the last, given the lead time that these things take to put together. Yeah. So uh, you know, they're important projects. It'll be interesting to see how they come together. Um, anything else on Win Macau, Win Win Kotai? Excuse me, I keep saying Win Macau. Uh, Anything else that I missed of import? I mean, I think the shovels the shovels hit the dirt in December, so yeah. that's pretty much it. I think yeah, a lot more to come. So of course we'll be talking about that as it as it uh, continues to evolve. Um, all right, I want to go back to the United States. We talked about Sandy, and I mentioned the fact that it preceded the presidential election here in the United States. I want to talk a little bit about the impact of the election on gambling in the United States, and specifically two things. Uh, both of them I know almost nothing about, so I <laughs> so I will be leaning on uh, you know you know Dave and Chuck uh, to get your guys' opinions, and and we may need to regroup and uh, talk about this later when I have time to think about it some more. But the first thing is MGM Resorts International versus uh, Penn were waging this battle in Maryland um, over casino stuff there. And I want to talk, Dave. Have you been following this story? At least, probably somewhat. <laughs> this got pretty nasty. Uh, they were both very invested. I guess if you if you uh, if if you're up to date on the details, if you could give us a synopsis and where we ended up. Yeah, basically, MGM was in favor of a referendum to expand gaming to allow them to build a casino. Basically, allow them to build a casino in National Harbor, which is very close to DC, which would siphon off a lot of the DC market. DC market is a big market for Penn National's West Virginia casino. Penn National also has a casino in Maryland that's been affected by the competition from Maryland Live. So Penn National is very against this uh, referendum. MGM was very in favor. Altogether, I think they spent about $90 million on it. And MGM side ended up winning. And now Penn National is challenging it in the court. So it's going to be a while before it's resolved. Yeah. So, um, but still, a, a big win for MGM and for Jim Mern, who had really worked hard on this. I mean, it was clear that this was a major priority for the company. And uh, it got pretty nasty. I mean, as you mentioned, it was a huge amount of money um, that uh, was being invested. And it's interesting to see. MGM continue to expand. Now, Chuck, I know that you have been talking for a long time about the idea of sort of MGM as a landlord. How does this square with that with that sort of way of thinking? Um, is this are we going to see more of this, where maybe MGM goes into a market, pushes to expand gaming or to get whatever the prime licensing spot might be, or or to add one, uh, you know, set up shop, and then you know 
basically extend their existing Las Vegas model or or maybe a derivation of the model we've seen in other parts of the world where they're really licensing names more than anything else? You know, it to me, it actually doesn't really make that kind of sense because I would expect MGM to go for acquisition instead of trying to build in some of these outlying markets because they can take what they have, maybe make some upgrades to it and you know, bolt on some new ways of, of maximizing the square footage of the properties, depending on the market. I, it, it seems a little different to me. And also, if you tack on the, their 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 licensing agreements, you know, to put a Bellagio here, a non-gaming brands to take their brand names and sort of spread them out all over the place, I'm not so sure if it, it, it actually gels with this. I, I don't fully understand why Maryland is so specifically important to MGM. Is it, I mean, Dave, any thoughts on that? Is it more, is it, I mean, obviously MGM, one of their biggest weaknesses has been the reliance in the Las Vegas market, right? Their financials are so dominated by Vegas that any problems there uh, are hugely, have a huge impact on the company. They're not diversified at all. I mean, now China has helped that a lot, but they still have this problem. Is this a reflection of that? It could be, yeah. You know, they did they did open the MGM hotel at Foxwoods, but that doesn't have its own casino, I don't believe. So I don't know if I fully understand it. Why would they partner with them and not just go head to head somewhere else? I don't know. Dave, any any thoughts on this before we uh move on? No, it just seems that this is really the next wave we're now where once they were kind of opening up these huge virgin territories, now they're fighting over Maryland and Toronto and places like that that are already pretty much surrounded by gaming anyway. So mm. it's uh, I think I think that's pretty much where the industry is today. You know, it's interesting. Uh, Jim Murren, CEO of MGM Resorts International Incorporated Limited LLC, <laughs> um, what had just recently had his um, contract renewed, employment contract. So he'll be with us. I think what was it, 2016 at least. Uh, another four years, I believe, um, yep. that Jim will be around. So, you know, apparently the board is uh, confident in his leadership, his selection of fruits and vegetables. And uh, <laughs> and uh, I guess, you know, it probably didn't hurt that they got this through. I, I would be, it would have been interesting to see how the board reacted if the company had failed to um, push this through. Now, clearly – if they lost it, they probably would have let him go. I, you know, honestly, it's hard to say, right? It's it, it, stranger things have happened, right? They spent a lot of money; they were banking on this. If it didn't go, who knows what assurances that he had made to the board? But if it didn't go the way that he expected, it could have been a problem for him, right? I mean, that's total speculation, but yeah. it's it's not hard to imagine a situation like that. Um, you get enough of those of those things, and uh, people start to wonder if uh, maybe they could do better. But yep, Jim's going to be around for a while, so it looks like our Leaders of uh, leaders of the uh, gaming universe are probably going to be pretty stable. I don't see any of these guys going anywhere in the immediate future. So uh, you know we'll we'll have the same the same cast of characters for for at least the next little bit. Yeah, and keep your eyes on MGM Resort stock. It's closing in on its fifty two week low. <laughs> yeah, you, it's now nine thirty today. Right, you did, you did a good yes. post on, and it'll probably go down as far as as this. Fiscal cliff discussion continues. All the gaming stocks are going to keep going down. So when you find the bottom of that, that's when it's time to buy. Yeah, you know, it's you did an interesting post, uh, which you've done in the past too, but just charting their stock. And they have been one of those companies that have had a really hard time getting their stock to move uh, at all. 
Um, you know, yeah. you can look at the chart historically. So here's my question. It's not great. Yeah. If Chuck can do that, how come nobody on the board of directors can do that? Uh, well, I, I wonder if they're keeping the price low on purpose. They keep sort of like every time it get it it goes up a little bit, it gets to whatever twelve or fifteen or something. They they sink another eight hundred million shares or something out. They sell another chunk of the company out there. So well, their 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 danger if they let it get too low is they become an acquisition target, right? I mean, yeah. so there is definitely is some danger in letting the letting the stock price sink too low. I mean, I guess you know, not being privy to whatever data the board has, uh, either they he has enough personal relationships on the board to keep the politicking side of it going, where he, they're not going to get rid of him. He still. Assumingly, he still has the ear of, you know, the biggest shareholder, Kerkorian. Yeah. And uh, at the same time, who are they going to replace him with? Right? Is there some fantastic candidate that that made an unsuccessful power play to dethrone him? I don't think so. Right? I, there's no evidence of that. So unless yeah. unless they see some other route that's worth Zuckerberg. taking. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, 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 in the last couple of weeks, we've had two highly visible tech executives deposed from Apple and Microsoft. Maybe they're going to run MGM in the future. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about regarding um, the election is something that I haven't read anything about since. And so I don't know if it's uh, a non-factor, but we had heard some rumblings about this, which is sort of internet poker and how – the election and the constitution of the uh, of the new Congress may have an impact on getting this legislation through. Um, Dave, has there been anything that you've seen and read in the last couple of weeks that have talked about poker vis-a-vis election results? Um, not much that I've read, but I've definitely heard some rumblings around here that some people are very optimistic that something's going to happen, that the Reed-Kyle bill might go forward. Uh, that's what that's what I've heard. And again, I'm not involved with Capitol Hill. I've got, you know, absolutely nothing to do with any of that firsthand. So this is all just word of mouth that I'm hearing here in Vegas. Right. But people seem to think that it's going to go through, or at least are hoping it goes through. I think the sentiment is, is that um, online play is kind of inevitable. And they think it'll be better for everybody if you've got this federal framework and then states can work it out whether they want to offer it or not offer it. So that's pretty much what the industry is hoping for is that the folks in Congress will come to this realization and pass it. Right. And then again, there's always the chance that let's say on December 31st, they have this very important piece of legislation they have to pass because of the fiscal cliff. And right. Harry Reid is able to just slip this in there. You know, on page seven hundred and fifty-nine, and yep. it passes that way, which is the way uh, the Unlawful Internet Gaming Enforcement Act originally passed right. as part yep. of the Safe Port Bill. So, I I've always believed that that's probably the way it's going to happen, not through some open parliamentary debate where they talk about the the positives versus the negatives. You know, I think it'll just get slipped in somewhere. It's interesting. You know, John Kyle is retiring, so um, if uh, if it doesn't pass this session. Um, you know, he was a major proponent and a, a Republican that teamed up with Harry Reid, obviously a Democrat. So losing him, I would assume, not knowing the uh, brinkmanship that's been going on, would be a big setback if they don't get it through in this session. But uh, yeah, I, it, I, I agree with you. I would not be surprised to see it attached as an amendment or a writer on something else that gets pushed through out of necessity. Um, 
because, you know, it seems to be the only way we get things done these days. Yeah. And you've got to think, I mean, within the, the entire scope of the country and the world, this is such a small issue. I mean, it's a big issue for us here in Nevada, and it's a big issue for people who like to play poker. But for everybody else, like, I, I don't think they really care. Like, okay, so you want to play poker online. Right. You know, great. Don't bother me. You know, let's worry about, you know, unemployment and right. terrorism and all this other stuff. Right. It, do, it does not seem to rank up with uh, some of the more important things. Um, I, yes. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I, you know, elections, uh, this was a big one, and it'll be interesting to see how the sort of the fallout continues over the next couple months. Um, another story I wanted to talk about was this Canner Sportsbook arrest scandal. Uh, because, you know, we've seen more and more sportsbooks in Las Vegas – um, start to use Canner Gaming as their provider. Um, they've they seem to be doing better and better with that business model, moving into some of these existing sports books. But they they were in the news uh, recently. I'm assuming for reasons that they did not want to be in the news for. Um, Dave, <laughs> yeah. Dave, you've written about this a little bit, so why don't you tell us what happened and what's you, what's your take on? Is this a is this a real issue? Are the actions of one individual reflective of an organization? It's hard to hard to say. You know, philosophically, it's hard to say about that last question. But basically, here's what happened: you had this national bust of a sports betting organization that was illegal, obviously, because in most states it's illegal. A Cantor employee who was, I believe, the director of their sports book at M, was caught up in in this. And it turns out that he was working to help funnel bets to this company so far. And to the best of my knowledge, the Gaming Control Board has an open investigation into this. And Canner is cooperating with that investigation. So I, you know, I, I can't say conclusively what they will learn. So far, what Cantor has said, and there's been no evidence to not support this, is that he acted alone. And basically, he was moonlighting and doing this in his own time. And if that turns out to be the case, I would not see it having a big impact because Cantor already did pass regulatory muster. You know, there would have to be some questions asked about how supposedly getting a license in Nevada and and being licensed is such a huge step that it's impossible to get somebody who would even be possible to be corrupted into that. So you've got to ask yourself, you know, when the dust settles, if he – and again, this is assuming he is found guilty. Right. It does go to trial. He is found guilty. You know, if in fact you have somebody who was licensed as a sportsbook operator in Nevada is found guilty of a gambling offense, I think there would have to be some rethinks at the Gaming Control Board and Commission about their licensing procedure and how – this could happen, you know. Obviously, you can, it, it's not like this is minor, minor, ah, minority report, and you've got people trying to, you know, you've got the pre pre crime, uh, right? Telepaths, <laughs> precogs, precogs. Philip yes. K. Dick is precogs. So you've got the 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 uh, pre crime pre crime precogs. That is a tough phrase, <laughs> you know. Working in some booth somewhere trying to figure this out. So, so who knows? But I another thing that I kind of also want to throw in there that I've written a little bit about. You read the indictment press release, it's really just loaded with all kinds of language, as in, well, often this kind of behavior is associated with loan sharking and all sorts of other really bad things. And there's nothing saying, well, yeah, we caught them doing loan sharking. Right. Or we caught them 
paying off NBA refs or anything like that. So that kind of makes me think like, eh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. It may be that this is a case of people doing stuff that if they were doing it in Henderson, it would be perfectly legal if they got a license, but because they're doing it in Queens, it's illegal, you know, in which case I kind of have a different view than, yeah, they were involved with funneling money from the Gambino family to Al Qaeda and God knows what else. I saw, I definitely saw him trip an old lady walking across the street. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but that's what they make it sound like when, when, when they're doing it. It's, again, it's hard to say. We don't have all the facts of the case. And right. I think the really interesting thing is going to be what the Gaming Control Board turns up and where that goes. Because that, go, that could go in a lot of different places. Well, you know, I mean, casino, it's, it's not unheard of for a casino employee to run afoul of the Gaming Control Board and make mistakes and do something either illegal, uh, you know, intentionally illegal or make make mistakes and then try and cover it up, which I guess is also intentional. Um, but yeah, this happens. We hear, we read about this every, every couple of years, at least there's something high profile enough where an operator maybe has to pay some kind of a fine because someone screwed up. I mean, I remember the guy at the Mirage that like wasn't filing his disclosures for like five years or whatever. And like it was, they had to pay some massive fines. So, I mean, this stuff happens and things, you know, people make mistakes. And as long as it's not the organization that is, you know, inherently flawed, uh, you're always going to get a few bad apples here and there, right? I mean, that's just the way humans are. Yes, I think you're. I think you're absolutely right. So, interesting story. Bad PR for them. Uh, where after I would say a pretty good run of PR. I mean, all, the only other stories I've read about them is how they're expanding to X, Y, and Z casino. So. Uh, it was in, it was an interesting black mark on an, an otherwise uh, a record that seemed to be going up like a rocket ship. Well, it's a reminder too that this, in general, is a sector or a business or whatever you want to call it that is still illegal in a lot of places. You know, and you don't really hear, you never hear about IGT or Bally's. You know, one of their employees getting busted for being involved in an illegal slot machine distribution ring, you know, or something like that. You know, so there's still a lot of illegal activity going on here, and it's out there. And I think it's a lot more challenging to try to regulate that than it is to regulate something where it's mostly legal. Right. Um, I would like to, I'm going to wrap up here in a minute, but I would like to briefly touch on our good friends at SBE. SBE. Um, the Sahara, everyone's favorite shuttered hotel casino, um, remains closed. It is now November 14th, 2012. We had originally... Uh, been told that we would hear a thumbs up or thumbs down about financing for the Sahara uh, project sometime uh, towards in the fall. Um, as far as I know, there has been no official confirmation um, of either result, though we did get some news about a few executives joining the team, which Chuck, you wrote about. Who, there's, they're roping in a few people over at SBE which would maybe imply that they're ramping up for something. Is that, is that right? Well, it's very possible. We don't have any definitive information, but uh, they, you know, true to form, uh, once people started chitter-chattering, what the hell's going on with these guys, uh, they, they sent out a press release, and they, uh, they hi- hired two executives, one uh, I, I don't have the name here with me, but uh, 
One uh, was a former uh, executive at Caesars, a woman who I think her last name is Smiley. She was responsible for the rebrand of Caesars Entertainment from Harris to Caesars Entertainment and the relaunch of Total Rewards Marketing Executive. And she's been hired to be uh, SBE's marketing exec, VP of, of marketing, advertising, etc. Um, and they also hired another gentleman whose provenance was a, a manager of funds, of real estate funds for J.P. Morgan. So they didn't say directly whether or not these people are going to be working exactly on uh, the Las Vegas property. Um, the the, the uh, J.P. Morgan guy, I think, was going to be the president of SBE, not location-specific. So it could be, you know, he's just kind of putting some pieces together. We can't exactly infer that... This means that Vegas is a go, SLS Las Vegas is a go, but you know, it's 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 possible, but we don't know. Well, it'll be interesting to see. I know uh I would think it would be fair to say that this show in the past has expressed skepticism about uh Mr. Nazarian's plans and his chances for success at that property. Yes. Uh, and I think at one point we maybe even weren't sure if he was going to get funded. It may turn out that he does get funded and that this thing uh, moves forward. Um, so it, we may be eating a little bit of crow on that one. We shall see. Um, hmm. It's hard to believe, though. I don't know exactly how this this thing will pencil out in 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 what he wants. You know, every everybody's having a hard time. Who's not? Who doesn't have the ginormous Rolodex attached to their property? You know, even the Tropicana has dived into the Hilton uh, for a for a sub brand to try and gain some more traction and some more bookings and things. And no matter how hip SBE is by selling hot dogs and hamburgers and whatever other things that they do, uh, I do not see how they can make that property pencil out at two hundred dollars a night for a hotel room. It just does not make sense. All right, here's a quick, uh, an instant Vegas gang poll. <laughs> For both Chuck and Dave, will SLS Las Vegas be hosting VIMF 2013? Uh, no. No, but it may very well be hosting VIMF 2015. All right, there you go. Um, we're about ready to wrap up, but since we, we maligned social media at the top of the show – but now I just got a tweet from a listener who wants me to ask Dave a question. So we're going to go live, oh. live to Twitter <laughs> from Nick who says, does, this is I'm quoting now, does Dave know if the downtown renovations are translating to increase revenue or is that not paying off yet? Dave, any thoughts? You, I know you – well, we, we didn't get to September numbers, but I know oh. that you, you analyzed them. So oh, yeah. this is a good way to sort of wrap up with this question. Do I ever? Let me look at my numbers really quick, and that way I have good numbers for you. And let's see my last six months for downtown. It's been really mixed. You know, they're slightly up, so they're kind of like, ah, they're doing okay, but they're not doing great. So it'd be hard to say, you know, yeah. I mean, the the best of – kind of the best answer is like, yes, they invested – 
they, they're giving their customers value and the customers are responding in droves and the money's flooding in. That's not really what happens. They're not really declining anymore. They're just kind of stagnant right now. Like which is a lot a positive. Of yeah, which is a positive. I mean, they had been declining. And if you look at them since 2000, there's been a huge decline. And that's because of the development of the tribal gaming in California, which cut into a lot of the folks who were driving up here and staying downtown. So, you know, yeah, it's kind of turning around. It's not like you're going to see Caesars Entertainment buying back Binions anytime soon and like, oh, we've <laughs> got to get into this market to spin some cash off for the company. But the people who are in there who were able to get in there at the right price, I think are doing okay. I mean, I don't think anybody's doing great, but I think they're making a living right now. Interesting. Okay, good. Well, the, D, the D's been renovated. They, people have been, are investing money in the hotel rooms there, but Binion's Hotel is still closed. So right. I think that's the answer in a nutshell. No, that's a, that's a good metric. I mean, we see supposedly downtown Grand work is continuing, but uh, I, you know, I think you could make an argument that if they thought they were leaving a ton of money on the table, they would be moving a lot faster than they are. Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> is that a, a, a grunt of a, agreement? Or- <laughs> I still don't know how that name is going to go through. <laughs> ah, right, yes. Don't, again, why ask anybody? <laughs> all right. Uh, I think that's all we're going to do for this for this time. Um, we are going to roll into our Sure Bet segment, which is an opportunity for us to share a recommendation with you guys in the audience, something that we think is cool or fun, or whatever, um, and, uh, you know, it can be related to gambling or Vegas, but it doesn't have to be, certainly. Mine almost never are. Um, <laughs> so, we're going we're gonna to do it. Dave, I know you said that you had something prepped and ready, so why don't you start? Yes. Um, I've learned, it was incredible it took me this long to learn it, but apparently Jeff Lynn came out with a new solo album last month, in October, and it is really incredibly great. It's called Long Wave, and it's him performing a lot of the songs that inspired him to, to become a musician back when he was young. And it, you've got to listen to it to really get to really get what I'm saying here. But what I absolutely love about this album is that he didn't just do kind of a lounge lizard version of these songs. So he's got, for example, he does um, Love is a Many Splendored Thing, very well-known old standard and doesn't just kind of turn it into some syrupy thing where he's pretending to be Barry Manilow or Frank Sinatra or someone like that. He, he does it and you can hear like, yeah, this is Jeff Lynn doing the song and it sounds like he's making it his own. And it's real. it's just really incredible. My favorite part, I mean, the thing that convinced me that this is just absolutely phenomenally incredible bonus track is beyond the sea. Mm. Which, you know, right. Bobby Darren is a definitive one, and he's not, it sounds nothing like Bobby Darren, but it's just freaking incredible. And I heard this, and I just said, you know what? Let's say, by some strange set of circumstances, Uncle Steve goes across the pond and says, you know what? Now that Garth is leaving, I'm reaching out to Jeff Lynn to do a show in the Encore Theater, I've got to say, if I'm sitting in there, he leaves, he does his set, he leaves, he comes back, the lights come up, and this is the Encore, I'm going to totally lose my shit. 
It's like, it's that, it's like, oh my God, this is so, it's just such a joy of being alive hearing this. It's like, oh my God. And that's, I, I just love this record. It's just so, just so great. So that, that's one. At the same time, he's got another record out, which is an ELO album where he re-recorded a lot of their older songs. And they're, it, so that's really good. If you're not really familiar with the LO's catalog, it's a, it's a really good start. There's a lot of really good stuff in here. And uh, I've got, I'm a little bit disappointed that that um, Cirque did not go for my idea when Viva Elvis bombed to do Rock Aria, which I thought would be a perfect <laughs> fit for Aria. But, you know, live in hope. So, yeah, that, that's what <laughs> that is a double shot of Jeff Lynne. Nice. That's awesome, that's Dave. Thank you. Um, Charles, anything from you? Yeah, you know, uh, I, before I get into mine, I, just a sidetrack of the of the Beyond the Sea thing. Um, way back around the time that the uh, the Bobby Darren biopic was being filmed, uh, Kevin Spacey performed in the Stardust Theater with a big band. I remember doing this. A whole bunch of Bobby Darren tunes. I remember and that. Other mm-hmm. big, huge jams. And I remember hearing some of it on the radio. It's like a one-off, one-cut. I don't know what it was, but and it, it blew my mind how good he was and how slamming the big band was. So I'm going to go and try and hunt down to see if there's like bootlegs of that. But if you have a bootleg of that, email it to me because I want to hear it. So, But anyway, just to go along with that. Uh, my choice is also similar. Uh, if you are a fan of the... Well, you guys all know I'm a fan of Van Halen. Okay. Some of my favorite parts of Van Halen are the spots between the the wind up at the end and the end of the guitar solo where David Lee Roth just kind of does his little shtick. He just starts talking like, oh, I reach down between my legs and ease the seat back. I like the way the lines go up the back of their stock, that kind of stuff. If you love that stuff, then you will love... David Lee Roth's podcast. He has a podcast called The Roth Show, and it's available in both audio and video form. I highly suggest the video where he just runs his mouth for a half hour on a variety, two, three different subjects, just doing his thing, you know. And he's such an amazingly intelligent, cuckoo, nutty, artistic, creative, world, worldly guy. It's, it's, it's quite a lot of fun. So check it out in your podcast stream, throw the Roth show in there. And, uh, I'm sure you'll, you'll enjoy it. If you're a Van Halen fan, if you're a Roth fan, you'll, you'll love it. Cause it's just pure Dave. Huh. It's a straight, straight heroine of David Lee Roth. Nice. I remember when, uh, you know, he started that radio show that was supposed to like depose Howard Stern or whatever. Or they tried to program him opposite Howard Stern, which yeah. did not work. But um, I think uh, it sounds fun. I'm def- I didn't know this existed, so I'm going to go seek it he, out. In the most recent episode, he actually talks about that radio show with the Howard Stern. He talks about Howard Stern, and it's pretty interesting, he, his, uh, his thoughts about that whole experience. Wow, yeah, sure. It was yeah. pretty crazy. Awesome. The Rock Show. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So first off, I have a two-part, two-parter. Uh, one is sort of a cheat – one is sort of cheating – but um, <laughs> the, my first one, I'm going to pre-recommend uh, Vimp 2013 <laughs> um, because it was really a lot of fun. And I, I don't think I'm exaggerating if I say that literally every person that I saw was having a fantastic time. 
there were so many people that came up to me and were saying how they just loved being there and how much fun they were having. Um, it was, uh, in that sense, a little bit overwhelming. So I, I think that for any of you out there that uh, thought about going and, and didn't, didn't make the commitment or couldn't or whatever, um, mm. I think you should seriously consider trying to make it happen for 2013 because uh, it was a blast. The people that came, I think, uh, really had a good time. I don't think there's anyone out there that didn't have a good time. So I would definitely, if you were on the fence, weren't sure what to expect, it, you know, I'm sure you hear the podcast, you can hear the live 500, the live version of our show. It's no substitute for being there. There's a ton of stuff that was never captured on audio. There's, there's just, and there's no substitute for being there in the room. So I would highly recommend that if you were on the fence, because I think it was a winner. And, uh, it's an, it's an intimate explosion. <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's, you know, you, you took the words right out of my mouth. Um, so that's my first recommendation. My second sure bet is uh, a game for your iPhone or your iPad. And I don't, mm. I don't play a lot of games. I've never been much of a gamer. Um, but, uh, this is a lot of fun and I've been playing this a lot more than, uh, I care to admit. And it's a game called Letterpress. And it's a word game, and you may have heard of games like Word with Friends. It's it's, it's not really like that, which is like basically a ripoff of Scrabble. It's uh, it's a it is a word matching game. It's a competitive a competitive thing that you can play with other people on your iPhone. But it's just one of these things that kind of gets under your skin, and and you can't stop playing, and you want to play again and again. It is a lot of fun. Um, so I highly recommend Letterpress. You can get it for free on the App Store. So you can give it a try without having to invest your hard-earned pesos. Um, I would highly recommend it. How can someone challenge Hunter? Yeah, so that's an excellent question. If you want, it uses Apple's Game Center system to do player matchups. So uh, if you want to try and uh, play against me, I am on Game Center. Uh, I signed up for Game Center the very first day it was available. My name on Game Center is Hunter. <laughs> so it's, I'm not that hard to find. Um, and I would be happy to accept your challenge. And you'll probably beat me because I almost always lose. Uh, but it is fun. Even though I lose, I love it. So there's something to say about that. So I would recommend Letterpress, even if you're not a big gaming person. Uh, I think you'd still still enjoy it. It's a fun stretch of the vocabulary. And any word game that has... The word Hobbit is a winner Ooh. in my book. So, oh, yeah. So it did not accept Darth Vader, though, which I guess is two, <sighs> two words. But um, so <laughs> I, I complain about that. But Hobbit was included. Uh, for those super uber geeks that would care about this, the 1% of you, the guy that did Letterpress uh, was famous for another app on the iPhone a few years ago called Tweety, which was a Twitter client. Uh, which got bought by Twitter actually, and has now been subsumed. But uh, this is his, this is his new thing, and it's a, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, the Twitter client thing. Blech. But um, this is a great new game from from his name's Lauren. He's a really nice guy, and I highly recommend it. So Letterpress, it's on the App Store. I'll put a link in the show notes along with links to uh, both the David Lee Roth podcast and the Jeff Lynn stuff that uh, that Dave mentioned. So. Um, that is it for sure bets this time around, uh, and that is it for today. Thanks to everybody for being here. Uh, I'm going to go around the table one more time so you can tell people where they can find you. Um, Dr. Dave, we'll start with you. Where can people track you down? Uh, UNLV Gaming, Two Way Hard 3, ggschwartz.com, and Vegas 7. Most excellent. And Chuck Monster, where can people find you? 
People can find me at VegasTripping.com. I will be making a personal appearance at Denver Dave's Footwear Stop. <laughs> You'd be signing autographs at Denver Dave's. Be All signing right. autographs at Denver Dave's. <laughs> awesome. Uh, you, if you guys want to track me down, you can uh, go over to RateVegas.com or you can go on the App Store and buy my app, Vegas Mate. Thanks, you guys. Have a great weekend.